I'm your host, Sarah, and... I'm your other host, Morgan. We are two sisters. By marriage. Who love talking about stories. From writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D... To designing worlds you don't want to escape from. We're... Out out of initiative. initiative. Today, we're going to talk about world building. Ooh! Which is... Probably one of my favorite topics to talk about with writing, Um, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts and how you design worlds for D&D or in your writing, Um, and I'd love to to learn what you do and see if there's anything um, that I do differently or you do the same. I'm very curious, Morgan. Yeah, it's just a drug-induced fever dream, so I'm really sorry. That's kind of actually where it ends. Oh, I'm kidding. We've got, like, lots of prompts, but um, yeah, me too. I'm excited because I think this is something we haven't really talked much about. We've sort of dabbled on it a little bit uh, in our conversations together, but we haven't really dug into it before, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think this works for uh, this conversation, these prompts, these, you know, discussion points will work both for writing fiction and uh, TTRPGs because um, you kind of have to have a world. Everything has to exist in a world. And if it's fiction, um, whether that's role-playing games or, uh, you know, written fiction books or, um, you know, even like movies or TV or like, I think anything that you're writing, there has to be a world. Is it what we know or is it something different? And we sort of like the unexpected. We're, I'm, I love writing fantasy. I, do you enjoy like modern I, reality? I love um, reading fantasy. I love writing fantasy, but I think there's a little bit of an intimidation um, to if you do a really big epic high fantasy, which kind of comes down to like the world building, because um, if you're just writing like a rom-com um, or any sort of like just contemporary, it's usually like set in present day and it's in a world we already know. And there's already set guidelines for, you know, gravity and oxygen and that kind of thing that everybody is familiar with. But when you get into fantasy and you have magic systems and um, hierarchy and government and economy and everything is so unique, um, it's vast. And I think a lot of writers, um, I mean, it's a challenge. It's a fun challenge, but I think it's a little intimidating um, so I enjoy reading fantasy that's done really well, so I can just respect that author. Um, I strive to write that, but um, I know it's a huge undertaking. And we're talking about world building in a vacuum. We're not talking about plot because obviously the plot can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be in any genre across. I mean, even high fantasy can have a hyper simple plot where the rom-com can have the most complicated, complex, weaving, difficult characters that go through so much. Like, so this is we're talking just about the just the magnifying glass down on world building. And I just think it's amazing. Uh, I'm wondering, Sarah, do you have any examples of world building that was done really well? that uh, really resonates with you? Um, well, I, I mean, definitely the high, the high fantasy, there was, um, you know, a lot of people talk about Lord of the Rings as a really good um, example of um, just everything was so thought out uh, ahead of time. Tolkien did such a good time, like, good job, like, knowing the master plan of what um, the world looked like and what the characters were going to, where they were going to go. I mean, the maps, everything. Um, that's, that's a really 
good one that I think a lot of fantasy is kind of inspired by. Um, there is a lot that I've read um, that the author kind of took little bits and pieces of like um, the Roman like architecture or like Roman time period and then like made it with fantasy or um, they take like a Wild West kind of theme and then make it fantasy. So I think that's kind of like a jumping off point. And I really love those um, because then you have a little bit that you already know. Um, I've read a few high fantasy that the first hundred pages or so, I don't know what's going on. And, (laughs) and, you know, and it's not to say it's not enjoyable, but there's been a few that it's just, there's so much that it's hard to kind of like ground yourself and center yourself. Um, Six of Crows, that whole series, um, I've stopped and started multiple times just because you are just thrown in and expected to know everything right off the get go, who these people are, what they're doing, what this world is. And a lot of people I've talked to about it. I'm like, I just, I just can't get into it. And they're like, just keep going. Just keep going. You don't know how to pronounce anything. You don't know what's going on. It's okay. And um, that's just hard for me. And so I feel like the fantasy um, genre that takes a little bit, that's like, oh yeah, this is like the Greco-Roman period. I kind of get this or um, then it's a little bit easier to get into, but that's just my reading preference. That's Um, fair. I think a lot of writers fall back on sort of classic European, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mythology or even like oh it's sort of medieval adjacent and then that's where the story starts but there's magic and like that's sort of like known it's like known unknown right like i know the basis i know the premise but the unknown here is how does magic impact and i think the conversation we have in our house all the time is world building is all about uh and i think brandon sanderson's lectures which are on youtube and are absolutely phenomenal and i strongly recommend they are Uh, fabulous yeah yeah. He's so good. Um, and he's so accessible. Um, but one of the things he talks about is like change one thing and then how does that impact the world, right? So if if storms are ravaging the surface of the earth, how does that change how people survive? You know, are people living above ground or underground? If you were to take sort of, you know, our earth is largely water, and if all the water increased by, say, 50% and half the world was underwater, uh, what would that do to society? Would we all move inland? Or would we build floating houses? Would we, uh, you know, what would be the most scarce resource? Would it be dirt? Maybe there are ships that have to sail around the world and they send deep sea divers to go down and like salvage the dirt so that we can make gardens that float along the surface. Uh, You know, it's just like what change one thing and then what happens? Um, The the other example that I, I really love is like, how does Romeo and Juliet change if they have cell phones? Like, if she could just be like, yeah. hey, yo, playing dead, don't worry, like, send him a text and then move on. That story changes completely. So what's the one thing you're changing to kind of ripple everything else out? I feel like 99% of fantasy stories, if they had a cell phone, w- would end. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it would just yeah. be the end of it. Instead of having to travel hundreds of miles to go tell somebody something or wait a week for a message to be delivered and it's too late. 
Yeah. But I love and, this, though, because, like, yeah, it does sort of eliminate some problems, but does it create new problems? What if we become super reliant on the technology mm-hmm. and, and that message doesn't go through? You assume that they received it, but mm-hmm. maybe that's where your story starts. So I kind of love to, like, overly complicate things. Uh, again, I'm a I'm a game master. That's kind of what I do uh, is just get complicated. Um, so, like, how do, how do these things that we rely on and expect to function when they go wrong? Like, you know, or when we rely on them and they work how does that further complicate our story and like with dnd i mean so a lot of the world building is um for example like the sending spell is not for the most adventuring parties it's not something they just can use willy-nilly like it's right. something that they use in emergencies for a specific, like it's not just handed out you know not every no matter what class you are race you have access to all the sending you want like that's that's it would kind of break the game in some ways and so it's like that's built in or any of the higher level spells like revivify you know Mm -hmm. if you could just pop someone back up all the time it would kind of it would it would break this the importance of someone dying it would it It, would it would cheapen it it would yeah and so you kind of have to do that in your book too, or whatever story, you know, your campaign definitely put in some of the limitations and um, that just kind of, it just makes that your character has to work just that much harder or has to make really hard choices. Um, You know, if they're going to use this magic item and it's going to potentially cause all these really bad, devastating consequences, is it worth it? And so, um, and that's, you know, D&D or in your book, it's character driven. The, the world is built for the characters to go and explore and the characters to grow and um, develop these skills or whatever, you know, accomplish their goals. So um, definitely, you know, you got to have like the balance in there or it will start skewing the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just not an enjoyable game then, you know, or an enjoyable book if it's just you're like, oh, there's no consequence for this. So why do they just do this? So Limitations, I think, really foster creativity. I think a perfect example, I'm sort of obsessed with colloquial English. Like, I think that the way language evolves is incredible. It's so fascinating. And I think a really great example of this is text messages. You and I remember this. Some of our listeners may not. Uh, Text messages were not always free, right? So like a sending spell, you can send, you know, say three times a day at a mid-level party, assuming you don't need that spell slot for anything else. You're limited to 25 words and the response is limited to 25 words as well. Uh, Text messages used to cost money, right? I remember getting my first phone and my parents saying it's a quarter. Every time you send a text, I need you to not send a novel, um, which is hard. I'm kind of a wordy person, but it it forced the generation of people to come up with abbreviated ways to say what we were trying to say and fit it into 160 characters to keep it as an SMS. Uh, and and like these shorter, more compact, uh, really quick and to the point, because sometimes they were tedious, especially in like ABC or T9. Like it was kind of tedious to type that stuff out in the beginning. So you had to get a little creative. And that limitation is what what fostered that growth in our language and created entirely new vernacular, which is incredible. So like, how can that impact your story? If you Mm -hmm. only send 25 word messages, does that mean that characters are starting to adopt slang that sort of mashes things together so they can more effectively communicate a point? 
or maybe, you know, there are people who are specifically hired who can send that message over and over and over again, and you have to seek someone out to send your more wordy, rambling messages. Yeah, and then, I mean, with the sending spell, too, you usually have to be fairly higher level, and so you think of the average townsfolk doesn't have access to that. Like, this is a superpower that they can just think of a message or say a message and it ends up somewhere like anywhere. And I mean, yeah, there is, is there, are there retired adventurers that just send messages for money? Like you could, this is a serious, like, and it's one spell and it's one spell. So, um, I mean, it's like a really fun side adventure idea, (laughs) right? Like it's some just retired adventure. Like they're like 15th level and they're just done. And all they do is send, you know, three or four messages a day, whatever they have. Scrap yeah. costs extra. Yeah, yeah. Make money that way. Absolutely. So, yeah, and then, I mean, so in regards to, yeah, you have to have rules. You have to kind of have boundaries, especially with novels. If you're doing like a big, like two or three part, you know, series. But from my perspective with D&D, you, you have to have some of that. But so much is of the world feels like it should be changed by the characters. I mean, what do you think? Like, don't you think that they should have some influence? I like that. And I think this is sort of the, the contrast that we've talked about a little bit before. Like, are they extraordinary people who are out on an adventure who must come to terms with what they are capable of doing? Or are they ordinary people who over the course of an adventure become extraordinary? And I think like those are sort of from a D and D perspective, And I think it works in fiction, too. Like, those are the sort of the two routes that a group can go. And, you know, do they grow into the ability to use these, uh, you know, awesome magic powers that they have? Or do they awkwardly, you know, drunk text at two in the morning with their sending spell and accidentally send something off to an ex that, like, causes some problems? Like, accessibility. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, hypothetically, if a character, I'm not saying you've ever done this. (laughs) Oops. Um, gosh, I think both of our characters have done that now at this yes, point. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I, that's good. I think that's pretty normal for most D&D characters. So too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, yeah, D&D, you're, if you're playing in this game and you make a choice whether to interact with an NPC or to burn down a barn or to not fight a dragon or to fight a dragon... When you come back to that town, in my opinion, like, I want to see change. I want to see the townsfolk out and about now that the dragon's killed. Or I want to see the town burnt down now that you left the dragon. And I I feel like you kind of need a dynamic uh, world. So if you're creating this world, don't be so concrete that nothing changes. Because I think, again, it's supposed to be the enjoyment of the player. And if it's like, no matter what you do, if you come back, it's the same. It kind of feels lackluster. Um, I agree. And it also tells the players nothing you do is going to impact the story, which means I can do whatever I want. Great. If nothing I do has any impact on anything, then I'm going to go wild. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's definitely, you know, something you have to think about ramifications. If you're building this big world, if you're homebrewing this big world, make, uh, you know, a plan in your head that if your characters go one way, what would that do? How would that shape? And um, I was looking before we did our talk today, I was kind of looking up some ideas and a lot of people say that 
look at like from an NPC standpoint, like if you have the town blacksmith, what is his story? And you don't have to do a full backstory, but like, what is his perspective of it? Or what if there's a nobleman and what's his or their perspective now that the dragon has destroyed their town? What are, what are their motivations and that kind of thing? And uh, not just from the characters, but from like the person that lives there and um, kind of use that to make choices. Like what, how would the nobleman react? What would they do to the town to protect it now or, or to rebuild it? Um, And that kind of thing. So um, just, yeah, just to keep it, keep it dynamic. You said something to circle back a little bit on reading fantasy. Um, uh, my spouse and I, your brother and I are reading and listening to Iron Widow, uh, which is so good. Um, I, I mean, like, I can't recommend it enough. It's amazing. Uh, and one of the things that the author does uh, in terms of, like, how these things impact the world, we see a lot from the main character's perspective of, like, people might look at what I'm doing today and not realize that I'm doing, I'm making a show, and they think that this is something to aspire to. So the character often reflects on her own, like, how she impacts the world. Um, but that uh, book in particular we're listening to as an audiobook, and something you said about, like, the pronunciations, I get really caught on, like, is that, how am I saying, is that when Dwen or like Hun Dun? Like I like I'm reading it. And I'm like I'm not sure how to say it. So we've been listening to it on audiobook and like yeah. totally different experience to be able to say like great, got it. I know exactly how that word's supposed to be pronounced. Can I say it? Probably not. Like it's all based on Chinese mythology. They use a lot of um, the book uses a lot of uh, vernacular and language that's like pretty unfamiliar to my ears. Uh, you know, a lot of Chinese languages are really tonal and like I don't hear that. So it's really helpful to have like a native speaker using that language in a way that's appropriate because then I can like can sort of reinforce it. But it also like really helps me as a listener, as a reader, follow along with like what's actually some of this is like uh, well, ADHD, right? So it's like kind of nice to have somebody like read it to me. <laughs> at the same time but like it helps me understand the world building a little bit more because i'm able to just get immersed in the story instead of getting focused on like what is this weird fantasy word because fantasy often has all kinds of wild made-up language and especially if it's based in another culture or another language like that's it's just like it gets hard to follow so it's just nice to have like so of course i'm an advocate of audiobooks is i guess the moral of the story here (laughs) Oh, yeah. For fantasy, I always try and get audiobooks because it's just, oh, someone knows how to pronounce it. And then you don't get hung up and then you can just get immersed and get into it and um, enjoy the story. Absolutely. So a couple of um, points that I wrote down or I guess that I made Isaac write down because we talk about world building all the time. Um, Some of the like key things of like what might change and how does that what's the like impetus in your world and how does that impact your world building, like what happens. Uh, Some of the key categories uh, that we talked about were transportation, communication, warfare, weapons, uh, government, and tool development. And something that we talked about a little bit that I just was really excited to get your input on was that the, you know, we always say the DM should be having fun too. And you can involve the players in some of this world building. So you obviously can't involve the characters when you're writing fiction, but when you've got players at the table and you're starting a new campaign, you could, in theory, bring your players in and say, throw something out. What's like something you'd love to see in this world? And then implement that into the world building. And I just really want to know, like, what's your take on this? How does that feel both as a player and as a DM? Do you feel like that's too much pressure? Or do you think that that's exciting because then you have some ownership over the world? Well, 
I, I think that's exciting. And I love that idea. I don't, I can't speak for all players out there, but um, I love the idea of um, having your character, you create this character and in the back of your mind, this is how you see them. And if you, for example, make a character that um, speaks gnomish and they never come across gnomes in their world, I mean, that's a whole language that, and they didn't give a backstory. Maybe they had like their caretaker was gnomish. The family that took them in was gnomish, and they were in a part of a gnomish village. I mean, it's like this huge part of their their world, their you know their own personal world. And then the campaign you're thrown into, you never meet a gnome. So I I just feel like the more diverse, uh, just different languages, different races, different ages, all of that, um, I I think would just make it for an overall better experience. In my opinion, I think all players, um, you know, they have their own kind of backstory and, and how they see their character. Um, but I really like the idea. And I, I know you've done this before of a magic item you get at like, say third level. And then at fifth level, it changes or you accomplish something. Like maybe you're trying to avenge somebody um, and you accomplish like one of the people um, you're able to find. And so your weapon upgrades and then the next one, and then it upgrades again. I love that idea, or it kind of evolves. Um, and I know you've done that, Morgan. I, know I love done that. With a few of our, yeah, a few of our players. Um, so something like that, because then then there's no, there's less of a chance of stagnation. Because totally. what was really helping you at third level, at fifth level, or, or seventh That's level, awful. it might not be so helpful. Exactly. So it also uh, is a great way to implement the like change based on the character's actions, right? The you know, if I left the city to burn and then moved on with my merry little life and didn't think that it mattered and my magic item now has scorch marks across it and the sort of effect that it has forces me to remember the souls that I left behind by not saving the town, right? That builds on that character and allows them to grow a little bit more while also being impacted by the choices that the character made. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I know we and we kind of discussed this too off air. About um, having, when you make your character, having um, your backstory and someone in your backstory that is very, very useful, they could reach out to um, someone with a skill or someone that has knowledge of something. And it doesn't have to be directly related to their backstory. It could just be someone they know and just how it could benefit the whole party if they knew a blacksmith that can enchant armor or something. Just, yeah. I think that just... And each player could have that key person um, they may or may not ever reach out to. They may not ever go see. But and then as a DM, you could have these NPCs like really fleshed out. You know what I mean? You know, them and you didn't have time. to work at it. You didn't have to work at hard, hard at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like two birds with one stone. So you can already know where the NPC, what village or city they're in, what they're doing, um, have them. Everything, everything figured out. And then there's a really, really good chance your characters are going to end up there. Um, and so it's kind of like planting the little seeds um, that benefits both both sides of the table. We were talking about this with um, Taliesin's character, Ashton, in the new Critical Role campaign. Ashton has all of these, they have all these connections throughout the city. And it was like, ooh, I don't really remember what my relationship is with this NPC. But like, you can tell that they have this connection to all of these people. And they have like, oh, I know a guy. And if you want a character who knows a guy, which I think a lot of 
players really enjoy being in the know, like they want some control. Uh, this is a great example of a way that you can bring that in and like fold the player in, help really satisfy what that player wants with their character development, while also like kind of easing the burden on the DM big time. Like, oh yeah, you've listed off all these NPCs that you know, great, sounds good, they're here, they're canon. I've got control of them from here on out, but you've kind of built it up to this point so I know how they might react in a situation or what kind of skills that they have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think from a player, when you're in this world, you know, it's revealed to you slowly and you have your own personal knowledge that, you know, hopefully you've discussed with your DM. Um, so you know your character's history, but there's several times I've felt that I, you know, one of the other players asks me something in character and I know my character would know the answer and I just kind of ad lib what I think the answer is. And I, the whole time I'm, I know I'm like looking at you, Morgan, or I'm looking at Isaac, like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this? Right? And so like the world building, it's, I mean, I'm always like, sometimes I, I know and then other times I'm like, I hope this is right because this is what I'm saying. And so, I mean, it's just, it's it's interesting when you're in the world because it's, I mean, you're just kind of going off of how you've perceived it, how you've, what you've built and how you've interacted and then kind of working off of that. Um, that's something as a player I'm trying to like get better at, like with the confidence, like if we're watching Critical Role, they just are so confident with their characters. Um, occasionally they do kind of defer to back but it seems for the most part, they're just, they're confident in like what they're saying. And so um, I think just knowing your world and just um, kind of knowing the limitations and the history and all that just really plays a big part in um, being better character. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of that for that group, especially, and we see this with our party a lot and like what you're describing there is just really good improv, like being prepared to say, I understand the parameters of the world. So I know that like, a god didn't descend from the sky and is working on the armor. Like, you're not going to go, like, out of left field. You can be, like, really reasonable. But it's interesting because you have one of two routes when a when another character says, oh, do you know where we might get our armor repaired here in town? You as the player can say, oh, I totally do. And then turn to the DM and say, and I tell them. And then the DM has to kind of fill in the gaps. And it may or may not be something they've worked out. But if, if you have that, like, trust, you can say, mm -hmm. oh, I totally do. It's this blacksmith. They're pretty cool. They're up on the corner here. And you can be kind of vague about it. Yeah, we've worked together a couple times and then just sort of ad lib and, like, let it happen. And the cool thing about that is then, again, if the DM hasn't built this person, you've just built them for them or to some extent. Uh, again, big trust, big amount of trust happening there between the the player and the GM. But it, it kind of just like it helps the flow of the story. Conversely, if we're talking about fiction, I, I have to wonder, are there ever points in a story when you are writing and a character asks something of another character and you haven't actually figured out what the next thing is? Do you ever just sort of spill an answer in character and just see like where it goes? Well, there's that has happened. Totally has <laughs> happened. Um, either it's something as I'm drafting or when I go back to revisions, my agent, there's been several times that I can remember them very clearly where she has asked, she put a note, my agent put a note in there and said, but why? Like, why did this it's side character, some side yeah. character just said something and she goes, but why? And I sat there, Morgan, for 20 minutes, realizing the ramifications of just 
that question. And it, I had revised this story so many times and I was mind blown on just that one little piece of why this side character, what the question, it was a question they asked and how my main character responded was like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. But then my agent was like, no, this is a really important question. And I immediately just had to like open a new document and just start like dumping all my thoughts and how huge it affected the world. It didn't change my story, but the world now and the my main character's motivation and the ramifications of her not succeeding in her goal um, change. It really shook it up. So yeah, there's there's definitely some times that I think I have it all figured out and that I know know what it is. And then um, you kind of get that side perspective, like an outside perspective almost. And it, it definitely fucked my world a little bit. So it was great. It was great fun. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely happened. And that was a fantasy. That was a fantasy story. Um, I have yet to have that with a contemporary, but never say never. So yeah. When, when you're writing your fantasy, uh, where do you start in world building? Like, do you typically start from one idea? Do you start with the world building and then just see where it goes? What's kind of your typical path? I definitely start with just like a single solitary idea. Like what if this is something that happened? Um, you know, what if people had abilities based on their emotion? Like what if you were anger, you were strong? Or what if you were sad, you could empathize with people? Like, and just to have that what if, and then I just kind of start working out from there. Like who are these characters? Who's going to be my main character? Um, why are they my main character? And then I just, I, I do a lot of um, note cards. I do a lot of, um, I do Pinterest boards a lot of times, um, either for just the world or the individual character, just like the overall vibe and colors. Um, and then I just start like, when's it set and where is it at? And um, there's, a, you know, depending on your story, but sometimes they're pretty, isolated like they don't you know say it's like at a boarding school like Harry Potter it's at the school like the whole time so yeah. um I kind of look at that and and if they're gonna stay in the one place the whole time or if they're gonna travel um and then it comes up a lot too is the age group because I do middle grade and young adult and so there's a big difference like young adult a lot of times they have a driver's license they can just drive places where middle grade they have to rely on their parents and if they're doing something naughty um, they have to deal with that. So, um, I kind of, I just kind of start piecing it together, but I definitely, it definitely just starts with an idea. Um, and then there's, and I've talked to other writers too. There's definitely a percolation period mm -hmm. where you get, you get that inspiration and then you kind of, it just kind of just percolates and I'll, I'll do a Pinterest board. I'll put together like a Spotify playlist and I'll just kind of, sometimes I'll just open up a document and just write some stuff. Um, and then, and I've learned this from some other authors that I've gone to conferences and stuff and they'll say what they'll do is they'll just kind of put it away for a while. Yeah. And if that story keeps coming back, if that world keeps just kind of haunting them, then they know they have something good. Um, cause I know, I know writers, you get into this and you're just like, oh yeah, this is the best. And then they just like 
a month into it, they're just like, I'm done. I just, I, you know, just peters out. They just don't want to do anymore. Um, and so not all of your ideas are going to be ones that will fully form into a full story. They might just be really cool idea. Not sure how that would, you know, look at becoming a full novel or multiple novels. I think, uh, again, again, one of the Sanderson lectures, because I just, I love them so much. Uh, one thing he said that really stuck with me was that he keeps just like a running list of ideas that like, what if people had powers based on their emotions, right? Like, and then jot it down and then you let it percolate, right? If you have more, you can write more. I'll, I'll do like kind of a sub document off of it. But um, then just like a running list of ideas and then start saying like, well, what if this idea and this other idea were mashed together? What if people had powers based on their emotion and uh, there were hurricanes ravaging, you know, the coast all day, every day, forever. Um, okay, so what does that mean? Are there concentrations of people with different powers in different places? Or do we start to see that there are people who are really numb to things and don't have access to their power at all? Like, mash those ideas together. And I, at first it was like, sometimes they're really disparate thoughts. Like, this doesn't ah. fit with that. And then you start trying to cram it together and you're like, ooh, but what if? And then it sort of brings this like sort of a new place and it kind of helps me um, really wrap my brain around things a little bit differently. Yeah, I have a folder like that. It's my super awesome, fantastic story ideas folder. <laughs> and Mine's it's, called I... Books to Write. It's really not very creative. <laughs> <laughs> it gets the job done, right? It does, Yeah. <laughs> And I will, I'll just drop things in there. And like, if I watch a movie or I just finish a book and I'll think, oh, that premise or something in it really stuck with me. The scene with these two characters was just, oh, it was just perfect. And I'll just kind of write something in there. Um, and then I'll just every now and then refer to it. And I've pulled from it and written full novels from it. So um, I highly recommend just doing that. Either a journal, um, I just have a document on my computer that I just keep adding to but um you you yeah. get ideas when you're at your computer that's <laughs> I, amazing I have, I have on my phone too I have oh a, like, okay I was gonna say phone. like I don't think I've ever like sat down and been like hmm I have an idea like it's always just like I'm in the grocery store I'm walking through I'm adjusting my mask and I reach for the beans and I'm like oh, wait what if everything was beans and then I'm like oh god <laughs> Yeah, I have, notes, you like you're nuts. I have notes on my phone, and then when I get home, yeah. or wherever, I okay. am, then I add it to my add it to my document. So yeah, yeah. Do you have people you workshop with when you have an idea, or do you wait until you have something more formed before you start talking it through? Uh, I think early on when I first started writing, um, I have a writing group that I'm part of, and we have a breakout. We call it the bounce chat where we'll like pitch something and then have people like respond to it or like, hey, what if, what do you think about this or what's wrong with this? And they're really good about being like, yeah, that's not going to work for YA. And this is why. Um, it's great. There's that's like too many dicks. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, there's like 30 of us in there and it's great. And they'll just drop something in there and you can just respond like, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely not going to work or that sounds great. Um, but now I think I've, I'm pretty confident in either the market, um, or my own abilities. Um, the biggest thing I have now is I have some ideas, but they're so ambitious. I just don't know if my writing's there yet. And that was something I didn't comprehend. Like a few years ago, I was like, I'll just write anything. <laughs> and now like, um, there's a really funny, like infographic 
floating around. I'll have to post it where they talk about like the new artist and like how they think they can do anything. And then as they get more advanced, then they realize what they didn't know the whole time. Like as they know more, you realize, you know, less than you did to begin with. And I think that's where I am now is that, um, I have all these great ideas um, for stories, but it's like, that would be such an undertaking. And part of it's just because I've done a lot of heavy revisions and multiple point of views and everything. And I, and I realize the amount of work and effort that goes into something like that when it's done, it's great, but it's, it's a long, long journey. And so um, it doesn't mean I don't want to try it, but I just have to make sure that that's um, really something I want to like invest a lot of time into. Um, and that will end up being, Something I'm really proud of when I'm done. Um, That's important. But I think, I think especially if you're like just starting out, have someone you can bounce ideas off of um, is great. Whether it's a spouse or a friend, um, probably not your dog because you're not going to give the best feedback. Um, hey man, if you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of, we're happy to be there for you. Like we're, we can totally, we're happy to like bounce ideas off people. I feel like that's something that we haven't talked about before, but like. Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to talk through something, we'll talk world building all day. All day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you come up with a pitch or like a story synopsis or something, run run it off somebody and see, see an outward perspective. If if they think that sounds fun or if they think it sounds um, like it'd be complicated or a lot of times um, I'll explain a story um, to my spouse and uh, he will be quiet the whole time and then promptly poke a bunch of holes into it that I did not Oof, realize. I hate that. Existed. Yeah, but it's uh, helpful. It's very helpful. And then it saves a lot of headache later on down the road mm-hmm. uh, because then I immediately have to go back and fix out, fix, you know, what, what happened? Why, why were these all these holes here? So um, yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's good to kind of get your skills up. Yeah, that's I obviously I'm very fortunate to live with a voracious fantasy reader. Uh, So I end up with somebody who's got like a lot of context. I can be like, oh, what if, you know, there were deserts that inhabited everything and everything else is water? Wait, oh, the one we were talking about recently was like, what if every night when the sun went down, uh, the water level rose up to the height of the mountains? So right that like water city. And he was just like, yeah, like water world. And I was like. Okay, kind of like that, but like, and then like, oh yeah, that's kind of like, oh yeah, that's kind of like, and he's always got these, um, not to say like, oh, your idea has been done before, but like, oh, that kind of reminds me of this piece from here and this piece Mm -hmm. from here and this piece Mm -hmm. from here. And then he can say, well, what these writers did was blah, blah, blah. What do you have in your mind? And then we can kind of build from that. And he also tends to like, uh, speaking of world building, um, okay, well, what does that mean for what type of food these people eat? Um, does that change? Is their diet different based on the fact that they have tons of access to fish or maybe overfishing has happened and there's no fish left? Um, you know, what's the, what is, in, and then he'll just start kind of like rattling things off and then something, I'll like latch onto something, be like, oh, that, I want to talk more about that piece. And then we can kind of dig in based on that. It's, I like very fortunate to have somebody who just wants to like talk about this stuff all the time. And then we end up on long car rides and we'll spend an eight hour car ride just workshopping a D character that i played twice and then we didn't play again and that was the worst i'm gonna bring her back at some point but until we get there i i believe you i believe yeah. you will um so i have a quick question for you from yeah. a dm standpoint 
when I am writing a novel or working on a book, I often will come up with the whole world system. Um, and definitely high fantasy leans towards like way more work. But um, I, I feel like when I finally do write the story, I use maybe a quarter of what I wrote. There's probably a whole bunch of notes somewhere on my computer um, that will never see the light of day that are Dune info, style, sure. <laughs> yeah, that are that were important to me to know as I was writing, even though it was never put down in the story. Do you feel like with D&D, if you're homebrewing a campaign, that you have so much backstory or, or info that we never touch? Or do you feel like as the players are going through that you're kind of filling in pieces enough that you feel like you're giving giving a full depth of your world. Yeah. Oh, I love this. So, okay. I think some of this is like soft magic, hard magic, right? So like a hard magic system, like what you're describing requires a lot of context and a lot of backstory and a lot of information. I put the iron in my mouth and it burns in my stomach. And this is the like chemical reaction that happens that causes me to have this ability, this strength, this push pull. Right. Um, and that is like more rigid magic system requires more information. Whereas when you're talking about sort of, I like to try soft magic, some soft magic systems, um, you know, it might just be like, yeah, they scribble some runes on the air and then they move on. Um, but for D&D, when it's a story, when we're talking about like, what are the like outer workings for the most part, if I do have a lot of notes that like, no one has ever touched. They're not going to come up. I think last Sunday we, um, I mentioned this. So I was like, oh yeah, I wrote this document August of last year, so like 18 months ago, I had written this document for like, when you guys meet this character, she's got these lines. Everything had changed. So it's like, it's almost not worth it to spend so much time really getting into the nitty gritties, the details, writing out dialogue. Um, I'll do like some scene setting and maybe some bullet points of what that person knows and what their personality might be. But I find that like the more time and energy I spend anticipating what you guys are going to need, the less useful it's going to be. But I do have pages and pages and pages of notes. Uh, I think I got the idea from um, Lazy DM, Sly Flourish, Lazy DM, uh, talking about Lazy DM prep is like building a world. You just need like six truths. Like what what's going on? What are the six things that are happening in your world? The six truths happening in your world. Okay, so there's uh, portals appearing all over Faerun, okay? And there's, um, you know, one person who's trying to seize power, uh, who's helping them, okay? And what, you know, there's this weird sickness that's happening in Oxglen, okay, cool. And then there's also, and I'd come up with like, I came up with like my six points, and then you can just build from that. And whenever, it's basically a coin toss. You guys meet an NPC and they know or they don't know about each of these six points. And then I can sort of improv in the moment what they might know or not. Granted, I'm an improv heavy DM and that's kind of like a huge part of how I operate because, you know, you only write so many 18 month old documents that don't get used <laughs> before you're like, okay, I'm kind of done with that. <laughs> Maybe that's enough. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I, and that I think kind of comes down to with people using modules in D and D because if you're homebrewing an entire continent and your characters never leave one little state, I mean, why do you need to know on these islands what their culture is or what it's never going to come up. That's so much work for yourself that really doesn't need to come. You know, if they end up flying and transporting to that 
island, just hope that you're going to take a break and you'll have some time to figure out what's there. Because I, I think it'd just be so much work. And then when the campaign ends, it'd be kind of a little bit of a letdown too. Because you're like this whole yeah. world, they only, you know, they scratch the surface of this whole world. So um, I, I, I like what you're saying about you just have like some big bullet points and then just kind of fill in the pieces. And it kind of comes down to your players too, your characters, um, you know, their backstories are going to be kind of molding your world a little bit too. Um, where like with a novel, you have your big world, you outline your novel, most people outline their novel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some of us, some of us start with the sex scenes and work out. Okay. Like <laughs> that's your inciting incident. Right that's there. my inciting incident is the sex scene in chapter 30. So <laughs> let's work out from there. <laughs> so you could have your big world and have your document or whatever that isn't because you know, your characters are going to end up there or you know that it's going to be relevant to your characters. And so, um, or might be um, because you're, you're the character instead of in like a D and D, you know, where it's shared, it's kind of a shared story. So um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And, and um, you, you do all that work and effort for something that's just going to change or modify anyways. I mean, it's all so character driven um, just kind of, I think setting broad parameters is probably the best best way to go it is but if that's what's fun for you if if what's fun for you is like somewhere in the twilight grove there's a woman named persephone and she knows these details right if that's what's fun for you and then like ooh, i hope they end up there then great do that and you know if you find that the players constantly are going in a different direction other than what you predicted you know, loosen the reins a little bit or kind of like buckle down and say like, hey, this is on rails and I need you to follow. This is the way I have fun. How can I make this so you can have fun? Like if you if you want to like come to that agreement, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. Also, you know, if you want them in the desert and the players don't have the ability to leave the little state that they're in, maybe just they have access to the keys to an airship. And also one person wanders by and is like, gosh, I wonder if anyone ever solved the Sphinx's riddle out in the desert. And then like, boom, they're on their way there. there Why? Because they like to do whatever is chaotic. They love it. <laughs> that will be their choice. That will um, always be their choice. So as far as I know, you've watched Critical Role and I know you've watched a couple other D&D campaigns. What are some techniques that you see in their world building that you like um for example i know there was one you were talking about there's i think it's a it's a magic shop and it's i can't remember the name of it but it's like a franchise like it's like a mcdonald's do you remember us talking about this? oh we were talking about that was it the every town, yeah every town has this magic shop and it's like a franchise and i just am fascinated by that maybe I think that's, that's acquisitions i, I can't remember is. I'm but sure yeah, they were somebody talking about, like, will tell us. There's a franchise that's in like every... I think that that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I also really like silly things. Like it can be high fantasy, high stakes, really intense, dramatic romance. And, because I like romance in my stories. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, and then also there's a franchise, magic item franchise in every town. Or like our favorite guy that we love in the 
in our two campaigns that we're running right now, um, Mr. Pickett, who runs the like magic shop cart and that just appears sometimes when we feel like it and we have like a running, we have like a Google Doc of the like his inventory uh, and he's cranky and he charges too much and he never remembers you. Like that's the important thing is like we wanted him to have, you know, world building on a micro scale. Uh, like we wanted him to have like one or two personality traits that would be really easy for either of us to draw on without having to build the character too much. So we were like, he never remembers anyone that he meets and the punishment for stealing things is dire, right? Like we hadn't really talked about it, but like basically it would be, you'd get trapped in a gem or something. Like it would be really dramatic and horrible. So uh, we wanted to like, okay, those are the parameters. And then where is he? Well, right now he's uh, at the weigh-in and as soon as the party returns, he's going to be gone. Cool. Now you guys can throw him out here. Okay, great. Now he can be in this one shot. And like, we just started like popping him in everywhere. And every single time when people were like, haven't we met you before? He's like, I have no idea who you are. So then the party starts to question, is this a different guy? And there's just a bunch of them and they all look the same. Or is it just this one guy who travels a lot and like has met too many people and doesn't remember anyone anywhere, anymore? Well, I think it's so fun. He was great fun. I remember we met him uh, in one of the campaigns. He was he was a hoot. He was really fun. Where our inspiration was items, so the um the like pirate uh, fence from Starlight. No, what is that with Daredevil? Yeah. Is um, that Starlight? Is that, what's the name of that movie? Stardust. Stardust. Yes. With the, with the handsome guy. Yes. And um, Claire Danes. Right. Oh. Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox, thank you. Yes. Oh, I have such a crush on him. Um, he's so cute in that movie. Um, yeah, but they're like the like Cockney accented creepy guy who sells them the lightning in a in a in a bottle or whatever. And uh, I just like we thought that like it would be really funny if that guy was the fence just always. Yeah, it's just great, always there. Great character. Yeah. So it's fun to get some silliness in there. What are some ways you do for your world building? Like I've talked about like Pinterest and mood boards and stuff, but what are, I'm curious what you do have. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is like, I'll jot down like kind of the main ideas and then I do a lot of talking, whether it's to myself or uh, to my spouse or um, I'll have like the whiteboard and do like, okay, so this magic draws from this and goes to this and this other magic, you know, so it's circular and do like kind of a lot of like diagrams uh, because for me, it's like, if you can figure out the magic system, then it's easier to drop that into a story. So they're kind of two separate things. It's like, what's the character? What's the magic system? Okay, so it's this character. She's raised by people who believe that the only right way to do magic is to write the runes in the air. And she's an inherent magic user, like a sorcerer from D&D, and she can just kind of fire something at will. So, okay, now we've got our conflict. She's got some inherent conflict. And now what's her, like, what's the greater conflict? And then, like, what are, what's the world like? Well, maybe there are other people who have magic like her, and they're somewhere else. So I just sort of, like, roll, like snowball out. Um, and I'll often just start, like, writing and then, like, getting really into something and then being like... Okay, on further revisions, all of this is wrong. Uh, so I do a lot of like scrapping and starting over, uh, which is so hard. <laughs> it is. It is hard. I've done that a few times where I've I've saved pieces. Like I'll write a whole chapter and I'll save like three sentences. Mm -hmm. This one <laughs> line of dialogue was so good, and everything it else. Might, it takes the sting out a little bit because you're like, it's still there. Like there's still some. Um, but I've, I've done revisions. I just cut 
massive amounts and I usually will save it in the extra document. I call it like my graveyard document. And I do that too. Mm-hmm. It's precious. It makes birds. me feel like the- yeah, the overall word count was bigger because I got to count the graveyard document. And then, like, you know, it's obviously not in the final, but yeah, but I, I do a lot of like, okay, if one thing changed, what happens? So if the whole world, uh, you know, is based on three huge island continents um, and each of them are super separated from each other and water travel is basically impossible. Okay, so these three super separate cultures and what are they based on? Are they hot? Are they cold? Are, you know, okay, what magic do they have there? Is there magic there? Do they know there's magic there? Um, th- uh, that's kind of like my favorite question is do the people know how it works? Uh, and then we kind of come back to those like categories we were talking about before, like transportation, um, communication, warfare, weapons, government, tool development. Like what how like what are those things like? OK, if they've got magic and there's a government, maybe it's a monarchy and the king, you know, maybe it's boring to have a king. This is like my favorite thing that I have, like in one of my uh, current work in progress is like the king isn't just whoever inherits the throne. The king is only appointed when the current king dies and they finally read his secret king's note and that says who his successor is going to be. So it's only whoever has curried enough favor to end up with their name in the king's note. And then like, so what happens? Do people start trying to kill the king all the time, hoping that their name will be next on the king's note? Which is what happens. Hint. Um, And like, there's this huge churn all of a sudden in the monarchy. So now the monarchy is really unstable, which means the leadership's not doing anything for the people. So is there maybe a huge wealth disparity between the people who are working and the people who are currying king favor? Uh, Because the only people who could do that would be the people who have money. I kind of only write anti-capitalism stuff, which is maybe not great, but... Uh, Most writers have a theme. Oh, boy, yeah. They have a theme. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of children rebelling against not just their parents but like what their expectations are their parents expect them to do this and they want to do this instead and kind of finding their own path like all of my stories are that way i love so that it's definitely a theme um but i like what you're saying with the magic system being separate because um, i feel like so often they have their world someone creates a world and then you put the magic in it and it can just break it just breaks everything it, it just breaks it all <laughs> yeah um and there's so many ways people have put magic um into stories uh it's religion based only you know the people with uh magic are considered holy and so they have all this power or um they have the magic, um, like with the Six of Crows, like they use it for um, the royalty, like they assist the royalty, or they use it for weaponry. And I think it's just so fun to kind of like see how the what the limitations are, but then how the magic is utilized in the world. Or, and we've seen this, this has been a big trend lately, uh, people that have magic are feared. Like they, mm-hmm. they are it's not good to have magic and um so that's that's like a huge YA trend probably last three or four years is if you have magic you're evil if you have magic you're bad um and then you kind of you know your whole world kind of spirals out from that 
Um, I'm kind of constantly rebellious. So when that trend began, began, I, I was writing what my first nano in 2018, and I was like, okay, I love the idea that having magic makes you feared, but maybe not all people with magic are feared. Maybe it's only people with some types of magic, mm-hmm. and it's only because the people who were made really famous with this type of magic uh, were people who were using it for evil. So now um, there's maybe like an enforcement agency that goes out and hunts down specifically these type of people with this one type of magic. So they're really feared and those people really live in the shadows and like, how does that impact the world? And that one, um, and then, you know, you like have this magic system and then you're like, where am I going to set it? Is it like, is it medieval Europe? Is it, you know, the Ottoman empire? Is it, you know, some fantasy Island somewhere? And sometimes it's easier to just be like, this is modern day Oregon coast, uh, and nothing is different. All of these people have just been living in the shadows. They just, we just don't know that this is happening, which is like kind of a fun, it's kind of a cop out, but it also is kind of a fun way to like, just like, okay, just see where it goes. And then what? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the question is constantly like, and then what? Exactly. Exactly. Before we wrap up, uh, where do you get some of your inspirations for world building? Movies, video games, books? What do you What do you feel like you draw the most from? Ooh, okay, this is kind of awkward, but, like, I have really vivid nightmares, like, all the time. <laughs> and I'm sure they're based on something that I've consumed, some media I've consumed, not something I've consumed, like, I ate too much chocolate before bed, but, like, I think that they're probably inspired by media, um, so I try really hard to stay away from genres that do give me nightmares, but like I just have the wildest, most horrifying nightmares all the time. And sometimes they're not all bad. And sometimes I end up with a story that's like kind of a decent like idea, a good place to start from. Um and that's you know that's great. I love that. So that that's typically where I come from. But um the other thing is uh sometimes like like you're saying like a scene, like an interaction between two people I'll be in, you know, watching a movie or watching a television show and there's a really sweet interaction. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this is so nice. And I love that this like interaction is happening. I love this. But what if they were from warring factions and they had two different types of magic? Or what if neither of them were magic users and that's super unusual? And like just sort of that like what if spiral. That helps a lot. Yeah, I I. I'm the same, like, I'll be watching a movie or a TV show. And it, sometimes it doesn't hit me, like, right oh, yeah. right as I'm watching it. Like, sometimes it's later on. You know when you watch, like, a really good movie or and it just kind of stays with you? There's got to yes. be a word for that. You know, like, three or good four writing. days later. <laughs> what? Good, good writing. writing. Oh, I think good it's good writing. writing. <laughs> and even if it's, like, when you're watching the movie, you're like, yeah, this is a decent movie. But then a couple days later, you're, like, still thinking about it. Um, it's usually like a specific scene or, or the way a character reacted to something. And it was just, it was so good. And I just, you just start thinking like, how, how would that character be in a different world? And how, if you had that character, why is that character the way they are? Um, and I often feel like my stories are so based on the main character. Um, seeing a scene in my head, I, I just they're just fully formed this character yeah. and then I drop them <laughs> into this world and it's just their reaction. Um, I know there are lots of books that I have read all, I read all genres. Um, even though I write for kids and teens, I read all genres. Cause I feel like there are pieces you can take 
from adult thrillers that you can use into a middle grade. I, I feel like those characters, um, you can really kind of make them your own and, and draw from that from all sources. So I, I definitely encourage like reading broadly, um, you know, have your favorites, but reading because you, you can get so much inspiration from that. Absolutely. And I like sometimes, yes, the characters do just like spring from my mind fully formed. And I just like how like uh, I've heard a lot of writers talk about like I can just sort of have a conversation with them, like have an interaction with them where I'm like, oh, I know I know Kate and I know what she's about. And like I've seen her life and I know her parents abandoned her, but she doesn't know that. And like I have everything about this character. And then other times it's like, oh, I think I know this character. And then as I start working through, I'm like, actually maybe she has this baggage or actually maybe this baggage is too much and you have to like really it's hard to like mold them a little bit once they're like spring from your mind fully formed uh but yeah sometimes you just have to like take pieces or like these two characters are both really good but i kind of think they're just one character like how do mm-hmm. they fit together mm-hmm. or splitting one into two and it's just kind of like take all all the like scraps that you find and like lump them together and then sort of mold something with it and see what happens and I know there's um, other authors like Adrian Young, um, who wrote Sky in the Deep. She said multiple times um, in interviews that her whole book, um, the whole story was just based on her having kind of daydreaming and having a vision of her main character and the inciting incident where she's standing in a field and there's just dead bodies everywhere. And she's holding an axe. It's a Viking based story. Um, and she's holding an axe and she looks across the field and it's misty. And she could make out someone in the distance that she knows and realizes that she was attacking this other tribe, this other clan, and uh, someone that she knows, it's not very spoilery because it's like the first chapter, um, is is part of that clan. And it just, and then she thought that person was dead and they're still alive. And so she said that was the inciting incident. And then the whole world just kind of built around that. And I've had that a few times too, where it's like, you know, when you're on Google maps and you're zoomed way out and you like zoom in, like I'll see the character in the world from way far back. And then I kind of zoom in to see like, what are they doing? What, why is this important? That kind of thing. Okay. Google maps is actually like kind of a really, I love doing this where you like spin the globe, land in a random place, zoom all the way in until you find a person and then like looking at where they're going or what street they're on, like instantly just see like how much of a story I can make up. Oh man, this guy's on his way to get milk because, you know, his roommate drank it all and, you know, just sort of like, and, and, yes, and, yes, and all the way out to see like what you come up with. And like often it's just trash, but like it helps like sort of flex those muscles to kind of keep me like, thinking about like how do things interact and what's going on in the world and having access to google maps is great since we can't go out into the real world as much as but i know i know like writers that sit at coffee shops and they just look at people coming in and out um and that's that's oh that's a character that person's gonna be a character in my book and um just people watching too just just seeing how people interact how they talk all of that can really you know come come to play in your book Um, Just how they interact with the world, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I'm kind of ready to, like, put pen to paper and, like, make a world. I feel like I've got a new world kind of bubbling now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I know there are a lot of great uh, resources on YouTube for world building. Just Google world building and writing. And I know 
Um, there's a few that I came across from just quick searches that are D&D specific, um, that are fantastic. And like we said, uh, Brandon Sanderson's got a whole series. Um, it's his whole like class lecture from Brigham Young, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, I mean, beyond those two, there's, there's a lot. Um, we could spend hours discussing world building. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can make <laughs> you a playlist that would take the rest of your life. So yeah. Yeah. So this is, this has been great fun and very enlightening. I, I love, I love all these ideas. I need to go write them down now that all, all the different ways I can use it in my world building. Well, Sarah, thanks for talking world building with me. Absolutely. This has been Sarah and Morgan. We're out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. Go roll some dice and tell some stories and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, visit MerelyNPCs.com or follow them on Instagram at MerelyNPCs.